0: Welcome to Where Wine Takes You, a wine podcast for people who, yes, love wine, but also love the people, love the stories, love the places, love the inside scoop on how it all goes down. I'm your host, Adam Montiel. Well, I will say, off the bat, beer fans are going to love this episode. So if you know of a hophead, take a sec, send this show to them right now. I promise they will not be disappointed. You know, in Paso Wine Country, there are a lot of collabs, Collaboration from one brand with another, both bringing something to the table to make something even better than it could be done on its own. There's just a ton of this going on all the time. And I encourage you to keep your eyes and ears open to these stories when you're tasting and hearing people drop names of folks or companies, because it's exciting to see how everyone works together. Now, today we're going to spotlight a collaboration that really crosses industries We've all heard of and cracked a beer from Firestone Walker. We're very lucky to call Firestone a local brewery. They have for well over 25 years been leading the way with their flavor profiles. Their beers are all over. And of course, the 805, come on. I think they got a keg of it on the International Space Station, I swear. I mean, to have a brewery like this is such a special blessing here. You know who agrees? Alex Villicana. We've had him on the show before. He and his wife, Monica own Refined Distillery in Paso. They were the first ones to pull the trigger and get out to market with their spirits. And they have known the Firestone guys for a while and have a really exciting collab with them that we're going to talk about. Now, the way they work together is pretty special, and it's a special fingerprint that is on his spirits that he can really say you can't find anywhere else. And just like Matt and Dustin and the team at Firestone are known for making world-class craft beer... Alex himself is a respected winemaker and now has spent the last decade or more being a well-respected distiller. So today we're lucky to have three guests to put all this into perspective. Matt Brindelson is the master brewer for Firestone Walker. To say he's well-respected in and outside the craft beer industry is wildly an understatement. He's won multiple GABF Brewery of the Year awards, been World Beer Cups Champion Master Brewer many times as well, as in By Magazine called it, in any category, he's nailed it. I love when I get a chance to talk with Matt. Along with Matt, Firestone's head brewer, Dustin Crawl, Dustin is another just incredible beer producer. He'll tell the funny story of how Matt hired him on the spot and why he spent over the last 20 years with Firestone Walker. Always love having Dustin on the air. Great conversation. The amount of beer knowledge in this room, just nuts. It's going to be fun chatting it up and drinking these refined spirits that Alex has laid out as well. So I show up to Refined and we got not only a spread of their club level beers that they want to share, we're going to be tasting, test tasting their new double hopnosis that won't even come out till next year. And Alex has laid out I mean, just a bunch of spirits, including one that was made years ago with Firestone's 805 beer. We come into the conversation here. Alex lost his voice a couple days ago. I don't know if he was screaming at a football game or he was at a performance of the Nutcracker. I'm not sure what it was, but he is talking about how with all these spirits and drank around us, this might be exactly what brings
1: his voice back. Here we go. So give me that moonshine, um, We'll get by. We we'll fast all around till the job is done. out in the trees, it will simplify and company.
2: By the end of this thing, my voice is going to be
0: perfect. You're right. Yeah.
2: Got <laughs> <laughs> a little honey there, got a little whiskey. I'll be all good. Get
3: your hot toddies again. <laughs>
4: cheers
0: gentlemen cheers cheers Cheers. and happy holidays yeah look at this
4: Finally put it together.
0: I know this was a one. This was a tough one, huh? Yeah. Well, we were around a table of you know three busy dudes. You know, you guys all got things going on, so you just have this schmuck over here going like, "Can we do it, guys? Can we do it, guys?" So,
4: <laughs> because thank, you're not busy. No. Well, you know,
0: <laughs> I want to really thank you for your indulgence and in coming together. This is going to be a, a fun, fun conversation. Just to have two, you know, really exciting brands in here, very different, um, but there's also a lot of like threads that kind of liken us all together because of the community and stuff, so it'll be fun to touch on that, and also just, you know, kind of touch on the whole idea of of collabs, and when two, you know, brands like this find, whether it's neighborly, or whether it's because, hey, we can have some really cool success with this, why a collab like this goes down. So, uh, Matt, what are we drinking right now? This is intense. It's beautiful.
4: Yeah, well, first of all, thanks for having us, and cheers, and uh, we have, we started right at the top here. This is our anniversary ale. This is our 26th anniversary. It went into bottle very recently, and the reason why we brought this is that it is actually blended by local winemakers. So every year, we choose a handful of winemakers to come to the brewery. We allow them to taste through the barrels that we have in our aging program, all beers, and then use their wine sensibility to come with the perfect blend, and the brewer step aside. So we've been doing this for quite a few years now. This is, I think, our 17th winemaker blend Every year is a little bit different.
0: Where did this come from? Did it come from just the camaraderie of it? Or like, hey, let's make another SKU. This is fun. At least we know that guys locally will drink it. Or where did this come from? Because what it's turned into is something really special.
4: Yeah, it started with our 10th anniversary and Adam and David asking us to make something special. And we hadn't done a barrel-aged beer to that point. We had always done barrel-fermented ales, double-barrel ale being fermented in new medium-toast American oak. We started making barley wines, imperial stouts, things that we thought would be really special for the anniversary. And to be honest, I somewhat brewed us into a corner because we didn't have much time to come up with a finished beer. We had a lot of ideas and no finished beer. And that's when I called up a couple of winemaker friends. They came over to the brewery and I said, you're going to have to help me out of this pickle (laughs) and blend something worthy of our 10th anniversary and at that point we'd never released anything like that and we weren't doing any of these you know ultra high-end beers collectors beers we sent it out into the world and we got such a positive response nationally internationally even um, that it just became something that we had to repeat. Well, I mean, I've, I got
0: invited to one of them one time, and it was so special because everyone there is like, when you see all, you know, a lot of these folks, they'll do, I mean, Alex, you've done the winemaker dinners, the yeah. distillery dinners, and you have to be like, quote-unquote, on. I'm sure both of you, Dustin and Matt, have done things like this representing the brand. But to just have everyone in a room, all these producers and, and creators, just able to kind of, you know, let their proverbial hair down and just chill. And there's, I mean, you guys, you take care of them and everyone feels comfortable. Everyone's laughing and like giving each other shit. Like, it is really, really <laughs> fun. And I'm more I would more or less like, because my... Can't pretend my flavor profile. I've got Jordan Fiorentini over here, Sherman Thatcher. Like, everyone in the room is just badass, right? And then I'm just kind of like a fly on the wall watching this all. But to see them
4: all having so much fun was like, this has got to be all worth it. I think Dustin and I learned really. I mean, we consider ourselves pretty competitive. I mean, we go to beer competitions to win. Yeah. And, you know, we're used to seeing that in brewers, and we never thought winemakers could be so competitive. And that's the one thing that came out in that room is, man, everybody wants to win the ball. Well, Dustin, you've seen some wine.
0: Winemakers come with like a top prize three times, right? A couple, oh, yeah. few, a few. Yeah.
3: Russell Fromm, Russell Fromm at uh, uh, Herman Story. He's you know who, who, someone you want on your team when you're getting ready to blend a beer. I'll tell you that <laughs>
0: Sherman Thatcher's won a handful of times, yep. right? Have you ever won? I haven't done it yet. So. Oh, you oh yeah, you, yeah. we
3: got to get
4: you over here. <laughs> oh my gosh,
0: it's so much. I mean, just to see them all having fun, yeah. really cool stuff. And then uh, everyone votes on it. And then you end up with it, and then you just kind of take that scale and just go to town with it.
4: Yeah, and we never alter the blend. So you know, contrary to maybe some people's thoughts, that I go through the tinker process with it. and go, yeah, and we don't tinker with it at all. We literally take that exact blend and just scale it up. Like, well, that's nice because
0: at least there's one skew that you can kind of like, you know, not you know, not on me. Like this is on them. <laughs>
4: <laughs> does it always kind of go the direction you think it's going to go, or does it kind of surprise you sometimes? No, that's a great question because it. Nine out of ten times goes a completely different direction. We think we've got the one beer everyone's going to key off of, or yeah. every, you know, and they always find something unique and a different twist. And I think that's the beauty of it is that it's it's really from the mind of a winemaker and not a brewer. Yeah. That's cool.
3: And uh, yeah, he's right. And it's it's nice that we get outside help because we have House Palette. We like you know similar style beer. We make the same type of beer together. So when we drink them, we're like we're really like minded. But when you bring other people outside who has different ideas of how a good blend should occur. Um, they present you with something that you might not have thought of, and it's like, wow, that's that's awesome. That's
0: so cool. Well, the last thing you probably want to be asked about are, are beers that maybe you've chosen, for whatever reason, to take off the market and discontinue. But I have to imagine these questions come from your fans who maybe liked uh, lager. I have a friend from Vegas who's like, oh, my God, the fire is so lager. It's incredible. I've been hearing this more in the last like year or so, but you don't
4: even make it anymore, right? It, that typically happens about the time Is you discontinue yeah. the beer, as everybody's like, why'd you take that away? It was my favorite beer. You're like, you should have bought it earlier, bro. And I, I think the, the beer industry has always been like this, but it's become a little more, um, fast paced in this regard, in that, you know, we have to be presenting something new every year. It's what, what beer lovers and, beer aficionados, that's what they're expecting from us is something new, and something has to go away to make room for it, especially when you're a commercial brewery like ourselves where we're selling, you know, say, onto a, a store shelf where there's only so many spaces for our beer. So we have to be somewhat calculating, and it doesn't mean we can't bring those beers back. It doesn't mean lager can't come back later, um, and it probably will. Yeah. I mean, this year we brought uh, Wookie Jack back. Right, I saw that. Yeah. And the, the labeling is pretty badass. It looks really cool. Yeah. So things can come back. I mean, it's not like in your world um, where you've committed to a vineyard, you, you're invested for years in that vineyard before you're going to make a, a real, you know, a real wine to yep. sell. We don't have that. You know, the barley's grown every year. We can choose different hops. The creative process is a little more dynamic in that sense. How much of it
0: is? and I don't want to use the word chasing trends, but like you obviously see cyclical things that are hot in beer. Maybe it's locale this year or how much of, do you have to kind of ride that line and put your finger on the pulse, see what's hot and give the market maybe what you perceive it wants? And then how much of it is like, well, look, we brew what we want. We're setting the trends here. Like this is what we want. We're going to brew things we want to drink, things we want to put out there to our fans. How do you walk that line? And how do you kind of pay attention to both those aspects?
4: It's a little bit of all of the above. Yeah. I think, In the early years, we were definitely putting beers out that we were passionate about, styles we wanted to drink, and we did a lot of selling based on you want to drink what I'm drinking, (laughs) and and now we have to pay a lot more attention. You know, every year there's a new generation of beer lovers who are looking for something new and exciting, and I think we've been both forced to pay attention to that, but the key is always trying to make it your own, you know, because I think everybody can kind of sniff out a
3: copycat so we
4: have to yeah we have to try to make it the Firestone way
0: we yeah I mean now brewers are doing seltzers now Dustin I mean they're doing everything right yeah.
3: I mean yeah there's no really limitations to what we're doing and, and you have to make a product that your customer wants but as brewers we want to be innovative and creative and, and have some influence on that brand as well so
0: was there any trend that kind of like looked like it was blowing up and then just kind of burst almost just like a balloon where the air was just let out was it maybe not sours but was were there certain little trends that you saw work and (laughs) maybe
4: sours maybe one (laughs) we talked about was the brute ipa which was a you know super dry ipa which sounds really good but it it never never took off yeah
3: um, overly bubbly, too dry. It wasn't very drinkable. And
4: I think, you know, it's funny though. It's, it's like some of these kind of come and go fruit beers were massively huge. Remember the slow brew blueberry ale back in the late eighties, early nineties, okay. mm-hmm. and then all that faded away. Now fruit beers are back strong and it's, it's yeah, it's
3: crazy. It, it, it definitely trends. And, and sometimes they come back like Matt's saying, the Wookie Jack. You know, we had to stop making that a while ago. It wasn't our biggest selling beer. We had to clear some room from in the portfolio, but the fans got to talking, and they let us know, and social media, and everything, that that's a beer they'd like to see again. And yeah, we listened to them and brought it back. and uh, so you'll see things kind of come and go. As, as and and
0: is, is some of this just like to show you're listening? I mean, maybe you're like in the back rooms, you're not thinking it's going to kill because maybe it didn't kill before. Or maybe you're hoping that the cyclical tide has risen and maybe it will kill now. But either way, you know that Firestone fans are going to just be like so touched that, man, they brought it back. They, they hurt
4: us. Well, it's, I think it's fun about brewing is because we'll probably brew over 35 or 40 different beers in any given brewing season or annual cycle. And... So we can do a little bit of that, bring a little bit of old stuff back, make sure we're creating some new, do a little bit what you're talking about, do a little trend chasing to see if that's going to work for us, but keep the the core stuff tuned up and going all the time, which for us, of course, is 805 and the core Firestone beers.
0: Did 805 even surpass y'all's expectation of what you
4: thought? of course. Yes,
0: absolutely. And then
3: some, yeah. Yeah,
0: I mean, it's just like... Unreal, huh? It, it's everywhere. I mean, I see it. Uh, my daughter goes to school on the East Coast. It's over in the East Coast. It's it's everywhere. You know what's funny is like you'll see like knock. I mean, just the font in and of itself yeah. is a um, is a. Um
3: a, it's a brand in its brand. own, yeah. It's a B- massive brand. You'll
0: see no. things that I know are not Firestone Walker endorsed. things at the gas station, and has got like these hats that the font is like strangely similar to my favorite <laughs> beer from, you know what I mean? Yes. So, it's, but it's just like, man, like even even just the logo is becoming something of an animal.
4: Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And in many ways, 805 affords us the ability to have a lot of fun, yeah. in other parts of the brewing, you know, portfolio, the barrel aging portfolio, like this anniversary ale with taste some of the things we're doing at the propagator um, yeah.
0: yeah without saying they're all my kids or all my babies what's your favorite beer now that lately that you've been opening up a lot you go
4: first you? Dustin
3: well I come and go some of my beers are are all, we're also on the on the chopping list you know I used to drink a lot of easy jack I was like my favorite beer for a long time pale 31 like I'm yes. a, a, a pale ale drinker you know middle of the road IBUs dry finish clean for you know and so, you know, we, we make beers in that way. Pivo Pills right now is my, is probably my favorite beer. I love drinking that. Um, it, it makes me really happy. It's, it's exactly what I'm looking for in a beer. It's very crushable, but, um, very complex. Um, and, and that's why we get along so well, because Pivo is my favorite Is it? Yeah. You know, oh. we, yeah, we, we like them all, I'm sure. But, you know, if, I, I'm a beer drinking guy, so I like beers I can drink. Like these barrel-aged beers, delicious. I enjoy sitting down yeah, after dinner, sharing one with my buddy, this and that. But I'm not going to drink these all night. I'm going to drink Pivo all night Yeah, and have one of these at the end of the night. Uh-huh.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, see, I came from, uh, I didn't drink a whole lot of beer growing up. But I, when I started seeing beers like this and almost, you know, made in this kind of like maybe it's the craft scene or whatever and then moved up here, I started saying, wow, there's I mean, I like cocktails, too. So when you would do these really even like the, your Manhattan beer and these other ones, like they're just so interesting to me and they're so tasty. Uh, when it comes to your Firestone beer, Alex, what is it? Uh, without a
2: doubt it was the double barrel ale um, and I, I didn't PDA. think it could get any better but then I tried the unfiltered double
0: barrel ale, yeah. and yeah. it just took it to a whole different level yeah. you guys have collabed before and I know Dustin you really led this uh, from Firestones and and I'm curious Alex tell me one how you connected with Dustin with Matt the team at Firestone and then what you were able to um, open as far as a really cool working
2: relationship yeah, no, it's been, uh, it's been quite a few years now. So, um, and I actually think it was, uh, probably your wife that got this whole That's thing. Right. And Veronica yeah. th- got this going. Um, and it was back in 2013, um, there was a, a group of uh, beer writers that were coming, coming to the area. And, uh, we wanted to kind of try to do something kind of fun and different. And, uh, we talked about pulling some of the 805 off before it actually had the hops, uh, it, it infused into it. And so, uh, we went down there with a 300 gallon tote. Uh, Dustin basically loaded up 300 gallons of beer on the back of my truck Uh, We brought it here, fermented it Um, So they delivered it basically as an Unfermented uh, beer at this point When we brought it here, we fermented it uh, We distilled it, and we actually Bottled it originally as uh, basically Kind of a white whiskey, uh, so without any Age on it, and it was just a Fun way to kind of show how You know, you could take, a lot of people didn't know That, you know, whiskey for all intents and purposes Is a beer, Um, and Explain that for someone listening and they don't get that Well You know, wine is a grape based product. Whiskey is actually a grain based product. Most people don't really kind of put two and two together that, you know, a beer is basically a grain based product, but then we take that beer and distill it basically into a a whiskey by, you know, isolating the good alcohol and the flavors that are coming out of those grains. And then we throw it in barrels, age it. A lot of people don't know when whiskey comes off the still, it is perfectly clear. Um, And so when people say, Wait, wait, where you know, where's the color on this whiskey? Yeah. And you're like, Well, the color all comes from that barrel. And so for for that event we didn't have the time to age it, so we decided to just do kind of what we it, it. Firestone came up with this cool name, Writers Blanc, uh, because it was the beer writers, awesome. and it was a white whiskey. And so, uh, and so this is the 805. It really was actually very unique. You know, it was, um, you know, it had this really kind of, and that, that's, uh, 13 years in the, in the, in the bottle now. And, um, as we're trying it, it'll be interesting to see when we first tried it, there was actually a lot of these neat kind of fruity characteristics that came out, that mm-hmm. uh, came out of the spirit we did 300 gallons translates into a very small amount of finished product and so we did have enough to kind of set aside and actually throw in a barrel and i actually threw it in a 5 gallon barrel and kind of forgot about it unfortunately and so actually just the other day i was kind of cleaning up the cellar and stumbled across that 5 gallon barrel took a picture and sent it to dustin and go dustin look what i found no way <laughs> and um and so, my way. Uh, exactly that's exactly what you're talking out
4: now see ya. <laughs>
2: Ha <laughs> And so um, out of a five-gallon barrel, I think I got about a gallon and a half because over, you know, whatever, nine years, basically it all evaporated yeah. off and, and left this super concentrated whiskey. And, you know, uh, the finished product now is probably a little uh, more oak than I would have had otherwise, but it's incredible because you can actually taste that that base uh, 805 uh, whiskey in there as well. So it's pretty fun. So that got the whole thing kicked off, uh, just kind of working on a kind of a fun event with, uh, with some media. And then, you know, at that point, we were very very small and so we talked to, to Dustin about you know can we scale up and he's like you guys got to get a little bit bigger and and so we started growing and so I kept reaching out and bugging him and finally he's like okay I
0: think you're at the point and so now for the last about four years he's got to get bigger because <laughs> he, you can't do this on like yeah, a super so, small yeah. scale it makes no sense for you right.
3: yeah I wasn't trying to steal liquid from our existing brand I want yeah. to make him a product yeah you know and, and, and also allow him his input on the raw materials and everything that we're using for it so he can optimize his is, you know his product, and, and I think it works out better this way. We can oh, make absolutely. one independently.
4: Yeah, and just to explain it further, I mean our brew house size that is X number of gallons or liters per turn, and so he just needed to have a still <laughs> big enough to receive it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So my still
2: originally was sixty gallons, and you know to, to basically uh, keep up with the uh, the volume that they would be able to supply me, I just needed to get bigger. And yeah. and uh, and so we got to that point, and uh, all grown up. Uh, and so you know now we're we're full speed ahead, and you know it's. It's been a a great relationship, just because, for me, you know, my whole philosophy. You know, been a winemaker for now thirty years. Is you start with really good base ingredients, and and you know, it's really then at that point, it's you're really going to be able to make an exceptional product. And for me, you know, I've worked with wine grapes. I don't know grain. And so to have the ability to work with, you know, world-class brewers, you know, some of the best in the world, it just means that my base product is going to be perfect. And then for me, I can then take that and try to turn it
0: into the best whiskey that, you know, we produce. Kind of like we've been told, you can't have great wine with Mediocre or crappy grapes exactly you've got to start off with great
2: yeah and you know for me it's you know I, I I know what I can do well um, uh, the, the grain part of it was something you know that was totally outside of my realm, and so uh, and so I've just been really uh, fortunate to be able to, to work with these guys down at uh, Firestone Walker, and and so um, you know it's it's just crazy, you, you know I have whiskey you know aficionados in here all the time, and and they're just blown away by the complexity of the whiskeys, and they're like, well, how did you learn how to do this? And it's like, you know, I've, I've been fermenting wines for for thirty years. A lot of it comes down to kind of like what we were talking about earlier about. About, you know, winemakers blending beer. Um, you know, you, you, you get a sense of you know how to blend things, regardless of it's wine or beer. Um, it's all that training in the sense of smell and the sense of taste and kind of the sense of balance. And so, um, you know, it's uh, I basically had the, the fortunate. You know, uh, ability to basically do a lot of that with wine, and a lot of it translated over into the whiskeys, and then tapping into the uh, to, to the experience of uh, Firestone Walker has, has
0: been just really fortunate for me. So, Dustin, you could say like high quality beer kind of starts out with a high
3: quality wash. Yeah, that, I mean, high sense? quality raw materials. Like raw materials. Like, yeah, okay. the, the barley that you're sourcing needs to be of good quality. Um, all the materials that you're using, you want to be of high quality, and and then and then your process needs to be dialed in and yeah. and we certainly have a exquisite process uh, we we mash in a couple thousand times a year we got a lot of experience on running wart and that's just something that you know we could take off of alex's plate and make him some beautiful wart that he can then turn into a, a magnificent product on his own um, that's a win-win for both of us and the program with the distiller is something that i built and alex and i worked on this for a long time yeah. and we have optimized the process and it's relatively pain-free now and you know we utilize Other local businessmen to help us out. We got Bobby Vaz and his trucking company moving this liquid over for him. So, you know, really Alex puts the order in, lets me know what he wants, when he wants it. We schedule it, we produce it, and it shows up on his doorstep in a timely manner and starts fermenting <laughs> as soon as he puts yeast to it. And so.
0: any parts that that aren't pain free,
4: just drink the product a little bit; it becomes <laughs> <That's>
3: it. It'll, <laughs> free n- of it'll pain. numb me up. Man. Yeah. <laughs> <I> mean, <Exactly. laughs>
4: One of the really cool advantages and why this is so cool is I don't think there are many distilleries with that advanced of a brew house with the capabilities that we have, and we have a brew house that can do just about any beer style, uh, use any raw material. And some of these grist combinations that you guys are using, most brewers would never attempt, where you're going over 50% on rye. Rye grain, one doesn't have a husk, and it's a very glutinous and sticky grain. And most brewers would attempt 10, 15% maximum in a rye beer. Uh, there's rye and Wookie Jack and if we get above fifteen percent it's a bad day on the brew house. Yeah, and then Alex comes yeah. over he's like, I want to do fifty percent rye. And that's yeah. what
3: I go, Dustin, that's all you've yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, well, got I grip my teeth and bear it, we get down there yeah. and figure out how to do it. So uh-huh.
4: those challenges are awesome, but we have the equipment to be able to produce a, a probably a cleaner wort than any distiller would normally yeah. even ask for. Yeah.
0: What kind of beer producer is Dustin? Take me down like a little bit of Dustin, what what is
4: special about him? <laughs> oh, be well, nice. we're celebrating <laughs> twenty one years of that's working right. that's together. Awesome. So So, uh, you know, we've both known each other longer Mm -hmm. than our wives or, you know, (laughs) longer than we
3: haven't known each other. Um, Any relationship that long? No,
4: I mean, uh, you know, Dustin and I started at Firestone when it was still less than 10,000 barrels a year. And we've pretty much watched it all happen here in Paso Robles together from when it was a very simple, you know, less than six people could run pretty much the entire brewery to now we have over 120 coworkers. And Dustin runs the brewing team, which is now a team of 24 beer makers that are responsible from the grain silos all the way to the bright beer cellar where we deliver beer then to our packaging team, which is another team of 56 individuals running four separate packaging lines. When we started, we literally would clean one keg at a time, fill one keg at a time, you know? Uh, Wow. You know, a handful of people and maybe a couple other hired extra hands would show up for the bottling days once or twice a week. I mean, it was a very um, small... Same process. So if I, say, if I said simple, I'd be underselling it. It was still the same process. It was just a lot fewer hands. And so, you know, we've both done just about everything in the brewery. That's rad. Dustin, uh, explain what's special about Matt and um, your
0: partnership with him.
3: Oh, Matt, I mean you know, like you said, we've been together a long time. You know, obviously he gave me a chance right off the get-go. Hired me you know, he was brewing on a day I came into to, to uh, find a job. I hadn't even lived in the area. I handed him a resume. I had a button up shirt and some slacks on and he was in his, his jumpsuit sweating and, and just covered in dust. And uh, I asked to see the brewmaster. I handed him my resume. I don't even think he looked at it. He just looked at me like, what is this guy doing in a button up right now? And then, and he's like, well, your timing's impeccable. I need help. Can you start tomorrow? And, I, and it was a Thursday and I was like, I can be here tomorrow. Um, I don't live here yet, but If it's all right with you, I'll I'll go back. I'll pack up my stuff. I'll be here Monday morning, 8 a.m. He's like, see you Monday morning. And he's given (laughs) me every opportunity in that company. Um, You know, he's molded me as a brewer and as a manager. And the trust that he offers me and the respect that he gives me is one of the leading reasons I'm still at Firestone.
4: Well, I say, you know, in brewing, every day is crushed. So, you know, we're kind of going through that harvest mode, you know, all the time. All the time. Um, and not just one of those brewers who just takes to it, you know, manages the situation, manages the floor, and keeps the crew happy through kind of the endless crush, is yeah. how I would describe it yeah. to, to a winemaker.
0: <laughs> <laughs> how much of it is leadership? Obviously, the fundamentals, stylistically, we always talk to winemakers, how much of it is craft, how much of it is art. I'd love to ask you both that in a second. But how much of it does that leadership play from you to your team, from, from you, Matt, down? What do you guys think? You, you mentioned that you really learned from matt a lot about being a leader
3: yeah i did we have a team we have it's and it's a team that needs a coach and and someone to guide them and, and they're the ones doing all the work they're do, they're making the the three-point shots and they're killing it they're knocking it out of the park but you still need to position them appropriately tend to their needs you know make sure that they're brewing the best possible ways that they can and my brewing team honestly you know there's a couple of core members on it that have been there a long time and i entrust them and empower them to also uh educate and train uh the newer brewers i don't i don't spend my days on the brew house with new hires i, I let some of my senior and lead brewers do that because i've taught them what i know and i trust them to do the same let's look at if that's done me Let's
0: look down at the end of this table. Where you see those finished skews at the bottom, the, all those beers, the cans, the bottles. Matt, is that more art or is that more craft?
4: I, I always say it's like a really interesting blend of art and science, and it's very similar to winemaking because um, you know it, it, there's, it definitely takes some creativity to conceive of this, but it also takes a lot of science to repeat it. Mm-hmm. And that's, think thing you know, I always say that. I'm oftentimes jealous of winemakers in that they can have vintage-to-vintage variation, and that's actually sought after, and people... You're not afforded that, are you? No, it's 805 needs to taste like 805 every day, regardless of how the grain came in, or the water is, or anything. So, you know, we use science to set it up, but there was a lot of art and thinking ahead of it. Um, And then when we get to blending these beers and some of that, we get back to a similar art form as winemaking to get to the finish. So... You know, I always say you have to have a good palate. And I think you'd say the same thing with winemakers. I mean, you really have to have a good sense. And I think, again, back to why we work together so well and the team that we have works together. We have a very similar, we're hardwired together in how we taste beer. We've been tasting beer together for over 20 years. Uh, So we know what the end uh, point is, the goal. For
0: winemaking and even your spirit producing. Yeah. Is it more art, more craft or what? Oh, it's
2: definitely a, a blend of both. And it's, it's interesting to hear what you said about the kind of the. It has to be the same versus vintage to vintage, you know. In wine, I I always embraced that. You know, you you got to basically take the vintage and, and try to make the best wine out that Mother Nature gave you that year with the, the grape harvest. With spirits, it's totally different. People like that consistent. When they try, you know, a specific whiskey, you know, whiskey, whether it's a Pappy or Weller or whatever, they want to make sure it's that that same flavor profile every time. So it's it's more along the beer lines. And so, you know, for me, that's one why it's great working with you guys because I get that consistent beer every time, so I can start from the same point but then you get to the art of it and you know the kind of the winemaker side of uh, what I do is translating into the distiller side because when I'm at the still um, you know we're making the separations between the different alcohols uh, simply by smell you can use temperature but when you're dealing with whiskeys it's a little bit more of a kind of a you want to smell the, the spirit and decide what you want to keep and what you want to get rid of and as a winemaker it's you know, for me, my whiskeys tend to be what I would call more kind of tailsy whiskeys. They tend to be a little bit more coarse and earthy because a lot of the kind of the lower boiling point alcohols, which come out at the beginning of the, of the distillation tend to have the, the notes that winemakers see as spoilage. And so for me, it's like, they are so distinct and so offensive because I don't want to smell them in my wines that I tend to basically get rid of almost all of them. And so those are some of the kind of the, the sweeter high tone notes that, that I basically try to get rid of and lean toward the kind of the more kind of fusily, the higher boiling point uh, alcohols that I see at the tail end of the distillation. And so once you actually do it, you know, I've done it you know, thousands of times now, you know, it gets to be a little bit more just kind of a, a science, you know, kind of you can repeat, repeat, repeat. But, you know, I'm still at the still every time. Every distillation, I'm still at the still making the cuts. And, you know, so you verify. So even though, you know, you, you know when it's going to be, you still want to basically verify every time you, you run it through the still. And so that's, it's kind of a fun. So there's, like Matt said, it, it's a real mix of a, of a science and art and a craft as well. So
0: Dustin, you're you're making the same. You see it equal uh art and craft
3: yeah i i do um my job i'm more of the craft side of it right because i i want to focus on the consistency of it like matt was saying and even on our variations of of vintage beers and and stuff like that i want to brew them the same way allow the barrel to change them allow the blend to change them and and that becomes the more art side but my specialty and my focus is in you know wort and beer production so when i'm doing it i, I just want to make sure it's done like the same way every time if I can, so it's a little bit more science-y to me.
0: When you uh, taste this whiskey here, this is the whiskey, right? This is the 805. That's the 805. What yeah. do you think of it, Matt? Pretty cool,
4: huh? Well, it was it was interesting to taste the base before. Let mm-hmm. me finish mine here. Yeah, <laughs> but it's uh, but then I get the but I get the, uh, the barrel behind it. Oh, there's yeah. a lot of really interesting wood on this. Like I said, this was probably a
2: little bit more oak than there should be. Yeah. they say at a five gallon barrel, you know, it's probably about six to uh, nine months that you basically would have a whiskey that would be, you know. "Ready to drink." So this was nine years, and so <laughs> it definitely was a little more than it should. But again, it was—you know—we've been growing so fast that it's been really trying. Sometimes just keeping up with kind of the, some of the, the smaller little projects. How often does that happen that you'll stumble upon
0: some <laughs> barrel or
2: case of something? And it tends—it's actually surprising. It does happen all the time. I mean, we, we keep an incredible inventory of everything, but it's like when uh, uh, you know, unfortunately, we are pretty packed in tight, and when you're digging out stuff, sometimes you just miss a rack or something like that, and. You know, it's the kind of fun thing is that you then get to see what it happens when you get an extended extended age, or you know, so so it's it's actually kind of fun, and sometimes you you know, there's a point to missing missing a a forced trial.
4: Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, (laughs) does this ever happen at the brewery mat? Only in our barrel aging program. Yeah, Um, you know, on on, on the you know ninety nine percent of the beer that Dustin is in charge of putting through the cellar, we know exactly you know to the milliliter what is expected, and we're moving it forward. But when it goes into the barrel, yeah, same thing happens. We stumble upon a few barrels of something really interesting. And oftentimes, it's that same. It's like, oh, my God, this has been in a barrel for six or seven years. This is going to be garbage. And we taste it, and we're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah. It's pretty amazing. So.
0: You know, we're leading the way, I really think, like, nationally in, like, the craft spirits movement. We're doing some really exciting stuff here in Paso, on the Central Coast. And I, and I'll ask this to the, the, the beer guys in a second, but how has your, you know, decades of winemaking experience shaped the way you want to make spirits? I imagine significantly because look, I mean, your spirits started with that base product from your winery.
2: You know, we started the spirits to be more sustainable. And I, you know, for me, you know, I'm, at, at my roots, I'm a farmer. Um, you know, I grow the grapes and the wine is a byproduct of, of what I grow out in the vineyard. And so when we started the distillery, it was wanting to make sure I was utilizing all the aspects of, of what I was actually producing. It's grown beyond that. And so I think what we're seeing here in Paso is this kind of this, this really good kind of core group of people that see that this is just an extension of kind of what they've done with winemaking. And in agriculture you know it's it's a challenging business and so every way you can basically differentiate your expel uh, differentiate your excel uh, yourself um, and kind of expand what you're doing uh, to make sure you're utilizing all your resources it just makes you more successful as, a, as an agriculturalist and so for me you know I, I think Pass Robles is always thought outside the box uh, you know whether it's from beer from wine now spirits you know all the different things that we do here in this area I think people like that kind of that maverick attitude let's try something let's see if something works and I think that's why this region even in California is basically kind of setting the tone of what distillers working together, uh, you know, can accomplish. And so I think now here just on the Central Coast we have about 16 distillers just in the kind of the small Pass Robles area. And the only thing that's really holding it back are a lot of the, the laws uh, on the books in California are basically so restrictive it's really hard to uh, basically start a distillery. But we've been changing those things, and so I think you know over the next 10 years you're just going to see the number of distilleries really explode.
0: And you've been really successful in, you know, speaking for your fellow distillers and kind of loosening some of these restrictions that have been on you guys for a long time. Yeah, no, we were
2: actually uh, just recently we got my first bill uh, passed through the uh, the state assembly and senate. Look at you! Um, it was all—it's only a temporary <laughs> bill, so we got a, we got a little bit more work to do to make it permanent. But one of the um, one of the things that is restrictive on the, the distillers uh, here in California is, unlike wineries uh, and breweries, um, you know, if a consumer who doesn't live in your area wants to actually Get your your products. They physically have to come to your location. You can't ship it. And so we were successful in basically getting a, a temporary bill that allows distillers to actually ship directly to consumers. And so Governor Newsom actually signed that bill uh, the end of September, and um, and went, it went into effect immediately. And so for the next year and a half, we have that right, and we're trying to make it permanent um, in the next legislative cycle. And then there's another like a really crazy one is, you know, we make our wines and our distilled spirits in the same space, the space we're sitting in right now. And, you know, we can actually co-mingle the products we're making them. So the wine can actually go in the spirits spot in the spirits can go in the wine spot. But when it comes to actually selling them, we technically have to have two separate tasting rooms. So we have a tasting room in front for the spirits and a tasting room in back for the wines. And so we're actually working with actually Senator Laird, hopefully uh, this next cycle. And he's actually talking about uh, amending the law so we can actually, if you're manufactured by the same manufacturer, by the same owner, we can actually sell them in the same tasting room. And so it's crazy laws like that that just have never been looked at that we're actually trying to to basically uh, amend uh, to make it
0: a little bit easier for distilleries to get started. Did you ever think that, you know, when you drive up here, you see refined distillery signs? Yeah. You know, did you ever think that, you know, that the distillery would take your you know, the lion's share of your tasting room space and it would become like, I mean, yeah. where's Velicana if you're driving in Adelaide? How do we... Uh, no,
2: no, I didn't think about it at all. I mean, uh, if, if you look at our distillery, you actually see the original line on the floor. There was a 13 by 13 foot area that was designated the distillery and right. I, I just I thought that, that was going to be the kind of the fun little area where I could kind of play <laughs> around and now it's <laughs> like, I, I feel bad for the winery. It's kind of gotten shoved into the back corner for the time being but I still love winemaking and it'll, it it'll basically start to grow again but... Um, it's just the spirits just take, taking a little bit of my time. Over the last well, especially
0: years. when you have a harvest like 22, huh? Oh gosh, you're I like, know. why am I in this business? Let's t- <laughs> <laughs> That was painful. Don't get me started. <laughs> Pour me some rye. <laughs> yeah, this was a weird one, huh? Yeah, It was tough. It was.
2: You know, this is my 30th harvest, and this was the wackiest one ever. It started with such a bang. It was so hot that I thought it was going to be over in two weeks, and then there was a lull, and we had about four weeks in between, and we finally finished up. Yields were probably sixty to seventy percent off. It was mm-hmm. brutal, and and you know that's the other reason. You know we had a, another vintage, two thousand fifteen, where we had some really low harvests, and we had the distillery going at that point. And and that's another thing why the distillery's been so important for me is as a small winery, it's basically it's leveled out the peaks and valleys. And so I know always I'm going to have a product with it with the spirits with the wine. It's going to fluctuate, and there's nothing I can do about that. That's just a mother nature thing. And we're just we get what we get off our vineyard, and that's all we can do. And with the spirits, we can work with these guys at Firestone, and you know if we need to get to ramp up, we can go from there.
0: You know, there's so many differences and yet similarities in like the different products. Matt, I'm curious, when you're scaling over the last, let's say, 20 plus years at Firestone and you're deciding how you want to strategize scalability, obviously, like you said, every 805, every whatever the skew is, needs to taste like the last one. That's the point. And even kind of big wines do that. Yeah. Like if you're going to go to a certain wine that's all over the place. Like KJ or Sure, yeah. right. You know, or like Seven Oaks or yeah. something like that. Is that hard to do or is its it... Is it obviously it's doable you guys do such a great job but when you consider scalability and then
4: maintaining that uh, what everyone's going to expect out of it yeah it seems to come in waves i mean i think when we first got started we were really lucky to have uh, a brewery and you know this brewery was originally put in place by slow brew the hoffman family and we took it over in 2001 and it had been pretty well thought out for scalability in mind to a point and once you crossed this certain volume, which for us was in and around 100,000 barrels, everything changed, and it took engineers to figure it out. Um, and we were so fortunate; we were close to Cal Poly. We hired a couple of, or we hired one specific engineer, Mark Fisher, who came in with a with a brewing degree and an engineering degree. Wow! And he's another one of you know when we talk about the leadership of the brewery, somebody who's helped us work on that scalability over time, while we could focus on making great beer. Um, you know, he was flying around the world trying to figure out how to build a fermenter to the right <laughs> geometry so it wouldn't screw up the flavor of the beer. Wow. Um, and these are things you learn in school. Because scalability, think never yeah,
0: it's it's nonsense or it's it's worthless if it's not going to maintain yeah. the quality.
4: Yeah, and and so you know, my job was always to draw a line. And we're like, it's got to stay within X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. You know, this is what I learned in brewing school. So you know, we got to go figure out how to engineer around that problem. And so it's you know it's about bringing smart people to the table. It's about having great suppliers, and then also be able to dream big. Um, you know, <laughs> I think this can be done. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do you have, did you ever look at each other or,
0: or or even other folks within the team and and look at I don't know guys like uh, this is uh, this
4: might be a tall order. <laughs> well, I don't know. You know. Uh, Dustin has two separate brew houses that he's in charge of. Brewhouse 2 is the really large one that you see from the highway as you drive by. And it took a long time to convince Adam Firestone that that was going to fit in that parking
0: lot out front.
3: <laughs> We yeah, made it happen,
0: and you've really like
4: almost like developed like a yeah. campus over there, haven't you? I mean, there's we've been really blessed that we were in an area that allowed some expandability, um, and we have some of that land behind us behind the railroad tracks, and that allows us to do all of our water processing. It just gives us the breathing room necessary to yeah. do what we do there. Yeah.
0: Now uh, I'd love to ask both of you because you know we are in wine country and uh, you know, beer country, spirits country, but how is not only just the brand kind of like the the tangible and the intangibles. Like, how um, are you guys, how has wine country shaped you as
4: a brewer? Well, I mean, I'll start. I think, you know, the the Anniversary Ale is a perfect example. Um, I came from the Midwest. There wasn't a big wine scene in Minnesota where I grew up. It was all about beer. And I came to California and was just kind of amazed by all this fermentation science that was going on that I had never been exposed to. So I was really hungry to learn a lot. In fact, I, I made some small batch wine when I first came to town just trying to figure out, like, how really? the process worked. Yeah. <laughs> Steve Martell from Kaleidos uh, Winery. Yeah. Is a good friend of mine. Yeah. Made wine in 2001 with him, like, shortly after I'd arrived. So it's always had an influence. And you got to remember, Adam Firestone, third generation wine grower. David Walker has a vineyard, has been involved in the wine industry. He's married to Polly, Adam's sister. So he's been exposed to the wine industry his entire life. A lot of that influence. And you had talked about double barrel ale at the top of the show. Yeah that is a beer that in 96 when it was conceived was the only beer that was fermented in an oak barrel in the United States. Like, nobody would do that except a crazy winemaker. (laughs) I mean, that's definitely winemaker technology applied to brewing. I always say when I came for my first interview to work at Firestone, I said, well, all that smoke and mirrors is like, you know, that hocus-pocus isn't going to (laughs) happen, right? And they're like, no, that's how we make beer. And I'm like, yeah, no, no. And, uh, you know, and so we both... You know, we're forced into this kind of use of barrels in the brewing process. It takes a little while and then suddenly you become a believer and realize, wow, you know, these things can be done differently. So it's had a massive influence on our beer making.
0: What about you, Dustin? Uh, just being in wine country and the, the friends, the camaraderie, yeah. all about it what, is
3: it. what does it do? You know, I think I think that's, for me, that's more than anything. Well, you know, Steve Martell never had me come over and make wine with him, so <laughs> I don't have a lot of winemaking <laughs> experience, but, you know, certainly appreciate it. My wife, you know, she graduated poly with a VIT degree, and, you know, she's obviously keen on wine, so I, I enjoy it, but for me, it's more of the camaraderie. I, I like the the classic winemaker. He has a little bit more of a laid-back attitude, uh, He's fun. He likes to party. Uh, and, and when it's not crush season, you know, he's very approachable, and, and you can hang out with him. But I, I don't uh, – the wine process, you know, I don't reflect it to the brewing too much myself. When I first started brewing, I always, you know – Gawked at the winemaker because they have higher alcohol they don't need as good sanitation they're only doing this once a year i do it every day you know and this and that so as, said, as i am a competitive man i'm like yeah no that doesn't count you know but uh, I, I learned a lot through my years of being up here and there's certainly a, a lot to it and I uh, appreciate what everyone's doing up here and making great wine. Alex
0: is like, you're lucky you're on the other side of the table, bro. <laughs> what is the next beer that you
2: opened up, Matt? I'm actually laughing about the sanitation thing. Yeah, right. It's like, as a, as a distiller, it's like, man, I just spray alcohol over everything, and I'm good. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah.
4: So this beer that I just poured is called Let It Loose. It's a very small batch, actually, collaboration beer we made with a small brewery in Missouri, uh, St. Louis, Missouri, called Side Project. Corey King is the brewer there. He's absolutely a genius and makes a lot of barrel-aged beer. So we got together and made... This was actually a two-part process, and not to get too deep in the weeds, this was the first release of our collab, and it's a strong stout, aged for a relatively short amount of time, one year... Uh, in spirits barrels, but we use toasted cashews, vanilla beans, and sea salt as adjuncts to the grains and the barrel and everything else we use. And I thought it would be an interesting, um, you know, if nothing else, just an example of how brewing doesn't have the, you know, the rules, so to speak, of winemaking and maybe even distilling, and that we can use just about any ingredient that's food safe to create flavors in our finished beer. We don't do it in every beer. And... Doesn't I tend to be purist? We don't do it a lot, but in the barrel aged program, I allow the use of adjuncts, and it's just such an interesting and complex beer uh, as a result of that. That's, that's really interesting. Yeah. Do
2: you have to do formula approvals? Because I know on oh, my yeah.
0: spirits, we have to do formula approval on yep. everything.
3: Okay. Oh no, absolutely. Okay, yeah, everything has to be. What, what do you think of this, Adam? I
0: really like this. In fact, I, I'm actually tasting this like a wine where. I mean, it has like nose, it's got a nose to it, you know, mm-hmm. and then,
4: and then you, you swirl it, it's really good. A little bit this, higher of a, of a finishing gravity, which to me gives it almost like a marshmallow finish. Yeah. Um, but, I like beers like this yeah. more than just like your normal crushable beers. Like to me, these are, these barrel-aged beers and your stuff, I don't
3: know, it's They're certainly more fun. No doubt yeah. about it. Yeah.
4: Yeah. Yeah, and the, what's the ABV on something like this? Ooh, this particular one is definitely north of 10%. Oh, yeah. Sorry, here, 11.2. 11. So, it's got some cool coffee notes or something going yeah.
3: on in there as well. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you, yeah. So, that, that's what's kind of fun about these collaborations that we're doing. And then they, they'll come into the brewery, right? Before we'll kind of decide on what kind of beer we want to make, what kind of raw materials we want to use. And never is it a very easy beer to make. You know, when you're collaborating, you want to kind of push the boundaries and test your buddies and, and make something really kind of big and aggressive um and then you get the brewer to come out along with it and brew it with you observe your process give you uh info on how they might handle it so oftentimes when they leave uh you picked up another tool in the bag uh, another way to handle a a, you know a problem that you might see uh, commonly that you're unfamiliar with and uh so the collaborations are not only you know producing good beers but it's also educational camaraderie um
0: so you're open to them, obviously, but you must get hit up all the time <laughs> from, like, every just, like, dude in wherever, fill in the blank USA. Hey, you, yeah. you want to collaborate? And,
4: and I don't know, it's it's as, as often done in the winemaking mm-hmm. world, but collaboration has become something, you know, pretty big in the craft beer space. And, and it, it can be overdone. I think we, we recently started a club. Again, talk about the influence of wine country. We started a club where we're doing direct sales to a small number of, you know, Firestone fans. D V C Exactly. Yeah, there you go. And that's all these black uh, label bottles go into that program and are made specifically for it. So whereas we're making, you know, relatively large batches of eight oh five on a daily basis, these are really, really small, you know, closer to what you're talking about in your initial Uh, distilling project a very small batch project so we can do the creative you know part of it is there are no bounds we can do whatever we like in it yeah and it's just afforded us a lot of you know interesting collaborative experiences and that's where we really try to channel most of that through
0: it's interesting because a lot of people when they kind of you know talk about you know your reputation in beer They talk about some of, like, oh, he can get his hands on this. Like, he's got great relationships with with these. So, like, I mean, are these hop growers? Where did it, like, change where you almost, like, got, like, a cachet that you could kind of work with and and have the
4: ability to get your hands on things that maybe a lot of people can't? Well, you know, you mentioned, you know, agriculture is at the core of your business. And that probably was the way it was early on in the brewing world. But over time, it, it somewhat became... Segmented. In other words, there's, it's rare that a brewer would grow his own grain or grow his own hops. So over time, the longer you're a brewer, I would say, the more farmers you meet and the more yeah. in touch with the agro side of this business you become. And I think it's just I've been at it that long. Dustin and I got to the point where we know a lot of of you know hop farmer families personally, and we go up to Yakima and hang out with them, and they become personal friends. And that affords us a lot of... You know, opportunities and and the raw material side of this whole thing,
3: and he's—you know—he's not telling the whole truth too, because he also will admit that we make some really good beer, and. They want to work with us also. Yeah. You know yeah, yeah. I mean? It's not like we got to go on them down. Sometimes they're asking us to if we want to try this new product or use this or use that because there were brewers that they respect and trust and want to see what their product will result as in our beer.
0: Yeah, they want to see your fingerprint yeah. on, on something that they created. So
3: we had a lot of opportunities to use some materials that.
0: Can you walk through hops the way that? Alex can walk through rows and and tell how they're looking, what's going on. This is, I mean, is there terroir with with hops? I mean, you know what I mean? Oh, you got
4: another hour? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But to answer that in short, yes. And um, it's really interesting because hops are grown all over the world. Yeah. And they're harvested and dried so that they can be shipped all over the world. So, you know, we have beers that we use hops from New Zealand because of certain flavor components that are very similar to the Sauve Blanc grapes that come out of New Zealand. We use hops from Australia, um, you know, Germany. Um, yeah, and, and. Can we grow nice hops here? You know, California was a big hop growing region, it's very water intensive. Um, and it's also better, closer to the 45th parallel. So it needs a really long summer day for really good yields. Um, and so there is some geography constraints to at least Southern California. They can be grown here for sure. Yeah.
0: Uh, Dustin, take us into 23 a little bit. Are there any, are you guys rolling back the curtains on any fun things? Can we break any news here? Anything going on?
3: Yeah, I mean we we just recently redu- um, sorry, released a beer, Hopnosis. Uh, we're going to make its big brother and Double Hopnosis. We're kind of also exploring um, going back to making some IPAs. You know, we were we've fancied ourselves as a pale ale IPA brewer for a long time. Um, we still make a lot of pale ales and IPAs, but we're going to make we're going to explore that, that territory a little bit harder next year.
0: Luponic Distortion, what happened to that? That was a fun series that we all enjoyed, but it's one of the same kind of thing. Like it it had its run, and
4: now we're 19 iterations over the course of four or five years. Um, I don't want to say it ran its course, it was just needed to be sidelined to make room for hypnosis. Okay. So it was that same situation where, you know, one in, one out. Okay, so with Luponic, what we
0: were doing is we were taking different hops, and we were using the same methodology to produce the same kind of beard. But so you're really seeing the hop fingerprint on on the whole situation Mm -hmm, correct mm -hmm. Um, hop gnosis how is that a little different
4: well I mean it took a lot of what we learned through the luponic distortion experience in terms of IPA brewing and, and we really picked some of our very favorite hops from that program And and quite honestly, it's just a whole nother take on IPA. It's actually fermented with lager yeast instead of ale yeast. That's a twist. It's using cryo hops. And again, not to go too deep into that, but it's a really cool process where liquid nitrogen is used to freeze hops and then separate the lupulin glands, the part that has all the oils and the flavor and the the lovely part of the hop. Uh And that way we can use that concentrated form of the hop in the beer. So, we just kind of used a couple new tools and a couple new techniques That's that crazy. we had never used before in IPA. And uh, what you're tasting right now is the double uh, test yep. brew this version test of brew. that. So, this what, is like not even next out. Year. Yeah, no. And this wow. is. This is Upwards of nine percent alcohol,
0: and this is pretty. I mean, have we settled on this? Do we like it? This is just the very first test
4: brew, so we get. We still well, have let's little let's ways break to go.
0: it down. Let's 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 pr- pretend we're in the meeting room right now. The whiteboard is up.
4: Let's. What do we think about it? Like when when you and Dustin, let me hear you guys talk back and forth a little bit. Oh man! So really is this the good. one with the cryo hops? This also has cryo hops. Okay. But the original hopnosis is where that all began. Okay. I mean, I feel like we just like Dustin said, we we're trying to make the big brother or sister to that beer, and again, try to capture all the things that we love and amplify them even further. Again, this will be sold at a higher price point, so we can have a little more fun, use a little more raw material, use a little more of the cryo hop. And really it's a balancing act because, as in wine, I'm sure, but you get to higher alcohols and it changes how you perceive flavors. Alcohol in beer can drive sweetness and fullness, actually. Mm. So we have to be careful with our use of malt and the finishing sugar levels and all these types of things. But we also can have a little more fun with the hops. They'll handle more hop character in general. And we're also playing around with these IPAs that have lower bitterness, so they have a wider appeal. Yeah,
0: because that was the big thing with like triple, quadruple IPA, you know, just like <laughs> yeah. beating you over the head with, with hops. But that bitter component, Yeah, I kind of fell in love more with like, I don't know if it's the East Coast IPA, is that more of the tropical, smoother notes? This is a double IPA, and it's, I mean, the, the nose jumps right out of the glass, but it, it's got a real smoothness to it, even though it's got some real, yeah. you know, gusto to it as well.
3: Yeah, It's, it's got a really nice malt body, it's round, and then that alcohol, that little bit of sweetness perceived on that. Kind of, it's quite nice. -hmm. I think
4: you'll notice across the board on West Coast style IPA like this, they're lighter in color, Mm -hmm. they're lower in bitterness, and they are using some of those tropical. Um, driven hop cultivars that you're talking about that you like in the East Coast style or New England mm-hmm. style. Right, right. With, yeah. What do you think of this one? I think it's fantastic. I was actually, it was interesting to hear you talk about the
2: alcohol and how you can use that uh, in your favor in beers. Because I know as a winemaker, we, a lot of times we use acidity. You know, you can actually, you know, alcohol, you can get the alcohol higher, you can get a lot more flavors as long as your acidity is in balance and it kind of, you know, balances out the wine. Is that the same with beer? I mean, I know you, you know, pH and acidity is different in beer than it is in wine, but how does that affect you know these type of flavors? It,
4: it's different, definitely a factor, but we probably can't use it to the extent that you do as a winemaker. I okay. mean, there's certain you know shorter windows of kind of pH and and acidity, um, and oftentimes we're dealing with low levels of lactic acidity yeah. um, that aren't going to have the same kind of impact that you're seeing, but it's, it's there. There's okay. no doubt.
0: Uh, let's get into either another spirit or another beer because we have a few more minutes left. Yeah, you got it. What do you think? One of the rides? Yeah.
4: yeah.
0: I think also when you're talking about like craft mixology and like yeah. having somebody play with this, I think you're going to get more of like uh you know, and I don't mean spirit-forward cocktail just because it's got more booze in it, but you're really going to get the notes of what you intended for us to get in the spirit with what whatever they put in the Saint Germain or the this or the that, you know? Exactly, and and you also want to make it so it's very drinkable on its own.
2: It's when we started the distillery, it's funny you have people walk into the tasting room, and people weren't used to tasting distilled spirits yet, and uh, so they'd walk up and they're like, uh, "What do I do? Do I just shoot it, or do you know what, what? Is there a chaser?" And you know, I, I, when you're actually tasting well-crafted spirits, um, it's amazing. They're very drinkable on their own. You you know, you can just sip them. Um, you know, it's it's very much like wine. You know, there, there's a lot of nuance to them. There's a lot of flavor. And even though they're higher alcohol, they don't have a lot of heat. Um, uh, you know, they're they're very easy on the palate. They're very well rounded, and That's you know, true. It, it is. It's um, you know, and it's just because we're starting with really good ingredients and we're basically crafting them. Because the you would order. think ninety three proof would burn on the way down. Y- you would think, and, uh, and, it's, and, it's, and it tastes good. It's yeah. smooth. And and you know, and I would say if, if any of them, that is probably the bourbon is probably has the the most burn of any of them, just because the, the corn is a little bit thinner um, on the kind of the flavor profile. Um, when you get into the the raw and, and the wheat whiskey, I think it's they're even softer, yeah. and the wheat whiskey is up in the
0: you know 112 proof. So Damn. It's, it's up there. So. <laughs> we doing this, boys?
4: Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> well, how do you? Uh, what do you? What are the notes you get from this? How, what do you like about this one, Matt? Well, so because I'm a beer maker, because we did DBA for so long and knew. Uh, American oak. Yeah. I'm so familiar with those flavors, and so I've always fancied myself, a, you know, a bourbon lover for those reasons. It, it always makes more sense to me than and Scotch and some of these others. So I agree. Um, What's your cocktail? Manhattan. Uh, yeah, I would say old fashioned, Manhattan, fashion. yeah. like yep, old fashioned. Yep. And this just has booming wood, but it works, you know, um, would you pour this over ice? I mean, is this something that like, I I would put it on a a single rock. and and part of that would just be to dilute the alcohol a little bit. And then Mm -hmm. some of the flavors will actually open
2: up. And so you'll start to get a little bit more of the aromatic characteristics of it as well. Yeah. Um, but this, I mean, I think all of our spirits hold up, you know, whether it's a Manhattan, you know, an old fashioned Boulevardier is actually one of my favorites. It's just, it always kind of kills me when people like are doing a, a, a nice cocktail and they get a, Cheap spirit to start with because they figure oh we're just mixing it with these other things. Well, it'd be like saying let's get a crappy kind of steak and you know and they just over salt it and, and, and flavor it so you can't taste it. <laughs> it's like you got to start with the best. Um, and because if a cocktail is done well, you can taste that spirit in the background. And you, yes. and, and you really want you you want that high quality spirit. Yeah. So this is the Past Rebels Wheat Whiskey. So this one's uh, really fun. So it's uh, primarily wheat, a uh, little bit of barley. This one goes through a kind of a two-phase barrel aging. So it starts uh, just like the rest of them in a brand-new American oak whiskey barrel. But then uh, because we're a winery, we have access to used wine barrels. And so I always kind of pull off a couple of different styles of uh, basically once-used French oak barrels. And so uh, this one comes out of uh, used straw barrels. And so a wine barrel is going to pull uh, – when wine's aging in a barrel, it's going to pull out most of that flavor in the – first probably two to three years, you throw something like a a whiskey in that barrel that has a lot higher alcohol, there's a lot left in that barrel. And so you're going to get some of those cool wine notes because the wine is soaked into the barrel, but you're going to pull out some of those neat kind of more delicate kind of French oak characteristics that come out of the barrel. And so you're just getting this kind of this unique kind of well-rounded. Like
0: this can almost reach deeper into the barrel to pull the barrel out more than wine can. Exactly. That's exactly what it is.
3: No, this one's really nice, Alex. I, yeah, uh, I really wheat to me is like a a material that makes things soft, mm. right? exactly. And, and, and I get that. Um, and then the wood character is so much different than than the your mm. bourbon. in the last tasting, it's like. Awesome. but there's plenty oh, of wood there there's no doubt about it oh
2: yeah yeah and you see it's
3: it in the
4: color wood, of the spirit right? as well
2: yeah and you almost when you look at the bottle you get a little bit of that red tint from yeah. the raw barrel Dang. um and so yeah you know it's that so i was fortunate enough when uh in college uh, one of my uh, fraternity brothers worked for southern wine, or his dad worked for southern wine and spirits and so we had this plentiful supply of pappy van winkle at the time i did not oh, know what it was it was just a, <laughs> it was a pretty good bourbon and <laughs> And if I had just shoved a few of those cases and you know in the in the closet, I probably would have been doing pretty well. But um, but I always loved that kind of heavy weeded characteristic yeah. in a in, uh, in a whiskey and and so and then when I first got started in the distillery, I went up to uh, Washington and worked at uh, Dry Fly Distilling and. They're up in wheat country, and so their whole thing was everything was about wheat. And uh, and so I loved their kind of their wheat-based whiskeys. And so when I started working on my project, everything had wheat in it. It was just kind of playing around with the constituents around that kind of that core. And uh, and so and, and, and people seem to really
0: gravitate to it because I think it really balances out the spirits. Which one of these three seems to be the most popular between the Paso, wheat whiskey, the rye, the bourbon? Uh, you know, I, I I think
2: bourbon, just because people have this thing about bourbon. Yeah, if because if, you asked about that favorite child thing, mm-hmm. I think my favorite child is the rye right now, and, yeah. it, and it just as because I think our our rye is so unique, um, it basically you know it it doesn't have the aggressiveness of the uh, of you know your your traditional rye whiskey. It's got this kind of cool fruitiness to it, I think, in the background, um, and so the flavor always shows through in a cocktail. Um, and so it, it's that spirit that I think is 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 really different and and
0: special for someone just listening. Going, I don't even know the difference between a bourbon and a rye? What's that distinction? Just like wines, it depends on the percentages of a certain, whether it's
2: grain or grain. Um, So for whiskeys, you have to have 50% minimum of a certain grain to basically qualify it in a specific category of whiskey. So if it's a bourbon, it has to have a minimum of 50% corn. If it's rye, it has to have 50% rye. Um, If it's a wheat whiskey, it has to have 50% wheat. Um, There's some other layers, layers, like if you're Bourbon, you have to go into brand new American new right. barrels, yada yada yada. Um, but it's the it, all these
0: rules. Like I'm oh from Paso, so I don't do rules. I know. <laughs> Haven't you read the books about Paso? We don't do rules.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, the government they, they still want, they, they still want us to follow those things. And uh, uh, thankfully, uh, thankfully we've uh, we've gotten some. We've got a good our ABC director when we started this was awesome. You know, he came in and he basically he literally would come up and show me things on the still. And, oh wow! Because he'd been in the industry for so long. And and so um, thankfully. You, even a lot of the government regulators are actually pretty pretty cool folks. Um, as long as you kind of
0: follow the rules. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't get caught not following the ABC. Right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. ABC, right? Yeah. What's the difference between? Uh, we'll ask uh, Matt and Dustin this with beer, but how do you taste spirits to get the idea? So we can, you know, the design is to, you know, get really what you wanted us to get across. You know, yeah. You know, so you don't. Uh, like with wine you're, you technically
2: aspirate the wine you basically breathe over it you don't want to do with that with spirits because you're going to breathe in that alcohol and it's just going to cause more of a burn so um, I basically tend to put it in my mouth um Basically, I'll swallow and I'll breathe in through my nose, and and then you exhale through your mouth. And I think you get a lot of those kind of those neat
0: flavors that that come out. How do you do it with beer? When you're drinking a beer, like let's say we have this double hopnosis, and you guys are thinking this is the test brew right here. Mm -hmm. We're gonna see if this is gonna be the final cut. Does it make it? What are you looking for? And just when you're tasting any beer, like you're walking into you know a place you've never been, you're tasting a beer. What are you looking for? How are you doing it?
4: Yeah, first of all, um, you know you shouldn't pour your beer still into the glass. It's good to pour a beer so that there's healthy foam on it, and what you're actually doing is... Um, you're not aerating, but you're allowing some of the carbon dioxide to escape from the beer. That's what foam is. And that carbon dioxide is bringing with it the aromatic compounds, the flavor-active compounds, everything that's good in the beer that you want to use your your senses uh, to, to experience. So it's good to, to, to pour it a little bit rough into the glass. You can swirl it. And and it's and, and after that, it's much like wine.
0: I know. watched this one TikTok video recently <laughs> where they were doing this like juxtaposition of uh, when you pour a beer the way you're talking about. Like some people will do this 45 degree angle. They'll let the beer just like drip so easily down there so it can get all the way up. And then they were trying to do like a, a CO2 thing afterwards to show like what this beer would be like in your stomach. Right. And then they did like what you guys were talking about. Like almost like what you used to do with that nitro stout you had. Remember with the, mm-hmm. the non-widget thing? You were just like boom! And then <laughs> surge for. Pour. pour. Surge pour. Yeah, yeah see? And then it was, it was like phenomenally less CO2 that you're ingesting and you're tasting more of the beer that way.
4: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and and CO2 is, you know, it, it's sharp on the palate, so it's good to get a little bit of that out of there. But, you know, from my point of view, it's all about the aromatics, and the CO2 will help carry those aromatics. Uh, so it's also, I always say a wine glass is a great glass to use for beer, especially yeah, if you're, especially no. an IPA if you're trying to experience the aromatics. That's a good idea. What do you drink your beer at at home?
3: Drink my beer? Yeah. When when, when you- I drink my beer, I <laughs> pop the top of the can and just bring it on home. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that was like the time he was like the most in that mic and the most emphatic he spent the whole hour. Yeah, I mean, are we tasting
3: yeah. beer or are we drinking Oh, beer? I guess I'm you're right. The yeah,
0: the there is a distinction. I, yeah. I feel yeah. like with Ted Plemons, like there's wine tasting. No, we're drinking. Yeah, we're drinking. Sometimes there's it
3: comes time to just drink. You know? Yeah, what would you
0: think of that double hypnosis? Are you happy with that? I what? am.
3: Yeah, I am. Yeah, we'll, we'll we'll dial it in a little bit, but it's, you think it's still got really some more tinkering. Until always. we get it out into first packages, we're always gonna tinker on really? it. We wanna make it as best as it can possibly be. And we have a, a team of very smart brewers that have very strong opinions and we get together <laughs> and, and evaluate those opinions and, and start making adjustments. Let me
0: ask both of you as men, not as firestone. All-star brewers, but just men. What are other local breweries that you're feeling? You're thinking, man, they're doing, they're doing some good stuff. You can just rattle off a couple, and then I'll let you laugh. you Matt. not.
3: I mean, we're both going to agree that there's at least two that we both know and respect, and it's Liquid Gravity, and there does not exist brewing. Not only are they. Exquisite Brewers making exquisite beer. Um, they're also our close friends and family. and, and Former have, Firestone and Brewers. Firestone. <laughs> That's right. And have brewed at Firestone. Brendan yes. of Corbin Goff. Brendan Goff and Max uh, Montgomery were And mm-hmm.
4: I'm going to miss some, so of I course. Mean, don't hold me to this, but I think that uh, Wildfields, if you want to get yeah. a little closer to home in Atascadero, crushing, it. crushing Killing it, in, it in competition. But I just think more importantly, just making soulful beers, easy drinking um, brewers beers I like to call them um, Not extreme but just really well thought about We've, we've talked to folks that like pull in like remember Whether it's like my
0: interview with Justin Smith After like you know 100 point wine And what that does for the brand Or you know Donnie from Turtle Rock Just got a 100 this last go around And that can I mean the phone starts ringing It's crazy new wine club members right What does good press do to a, a beer? I mean
4: it, it, can it blow up in, in the same way? I mean, it, it probably doesn't have the same impact, especially if, let's say, you know, we're meddling at GABF or we're winning a international. It means a lot amongst brewers and there's some kind of, you know, within the industry clout that you gain. You know, it doesn't just light up at Albertsons. So like seven after, medals, you know,
0: in a, a, you know, a
4: small time for Jackie and Ryan. huh? Uh, should that move the needle a little bit? I, I think for them, because they are so young and they got started right in that kind of right as COVID hit is when they yeah. were born. Right. Um, so I think it's real wind in their sails, uh, especially if someone's coming through the central coast and they may not think to stop in a Tascadero or hadn't heard of wild fields. Now that name clicks with people who know beer for sure yeah. are going to yeah. take the time to go seek them out when they're in the area for sure. Yeah. It's pretty cool.
2: I've always been a wine guy, even though the the old saying is, you know, it takes a lot of beer to make I know. Wine. I, I love wine. Um, um, you know, I, I've worked with Chuck Silva, and, and Chuck Silva has been doing yeah. some fun things. And so he actually, uh, he actually on a regular basis buys my used rye, smaller used rye barrels, and uh, and
4: so he's done some fun things with that. I'm so glad you mentioned Chuck because he's a legend in the oh, yeah. industry, you know. Yeah. And the fact that he decided to, you know, I don't even want to call it retire; he's far too young to retire, but came to. <laughs> Came to Paso Robles to do this very small artisanal beer project and just be the local guy. was so cool. Yeah. It is really neat. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Uh, Have we all been out to eat recently? Are are there certain restaurants we're feeling of late locally? Do we mainly stay home or what's going on with the uh, restaurants we're going to? Yeah. (laughs)
4: LPC. I mean, you know, that... There's so many good ones though. I yeah. Yeah.
0: Have you been to that in bloom yet? Yes. Yeah. Yes. My go-to these days is Finca. I love. I oh, oh I love
4: Finca. Me. Yeah. Finca's is yeah.
0: so good, especially when you're. have You ever had one of their breakfast burritos? I haven't, but I've heard they're fantastic. They're so. they're, they're crazy good. Yeah. They sell out. You have to like order them like a day ahead of time, and then they'll make sure that you they will make one for you. If you, you have incredible. If you haven't tried the oysters though at, at dinner time, yeah. Oh my god, they are crack. They're so, so good. Well, I don't know what they're putting in them, but you're right. It's like so. How much fentanyl is in these oysters? Like it's they're very. <laughs> addictive. They're very, very good. And they, they put them against the wood fire for like just <sighs> a minute or two. So good. Yeah, they're so good. Um, any Dustin,
3: any eateries? Uh, I got to try that breakfast burrito. I know it's got to oh, be dude. good if the guy that had an up and out of breakfast burrito yeah. named after him is yeah. most <laughs> in this one. It's got to be good. I gotta That's try it. true yeah. for sure.
0: Well, look, you guys um, have been so kind with your time. I'm looking forward to 2023. You're going to see the hopnosis.
4: Yes, sir.
3: The double, double hopnosis.
4: Yep.
0: That's going to be new. Anything else? That so we're rolling the curtains back on, Dustin, or what?
3: Yeah, we'll keep you keep you entertained and okay. excited. All right, very good. How can
0: people learn more about the you call the beer club, the Firestone Walker Club? Or?
3: Yeah,
4: it's uh, actually it's a good time to check it out because open enrollment is right now for the twenty twenty three season.
0: Open enrollment? Oh my god, it's like it's like medical insurance. It's yeah, <laughs> like... well, I you like can that. join now. Get, get covered. Get, get, get your coverage. Get your Firestone coverage, bro. <laughs> <laughs> it's a
3: workout it's a gym yeah, no, so, for real firestone. right
4: <laughs> so it's just the firestone normal firestone.com stuff uh, yeah so if you love
0: what firestone is doing and you want to take it a step further than just opening that refrigerator door wherever you buy firestone or maybe making a trip into the tap room be a part of this uh, beer club because the stuff you're going to get in there is second to none you're going to have beers that your friends won't get and they just taste so good i mean you guys are just so high class and you just you sold it Way better than I could. <laughs> it was awesome. Thanks, Adam. <laughs> what was the cherry one that you guys were serving there? There was a oh yes. We do a cherry parabola. Here. Oh yeah, that was good. I have. not I think you may have given it to me years ago at the station. An old parabola. It was like I think it's like vintage back in the day. They would come in a box. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. yeah. And I've I seen these on eBay. I mean, people will put these on eBay. Like they go for like money on eBay.
3: <laughs> it, it, don't don't buy it, people. Come yeah. on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Come
0: on. <laughs> it's crazy. I mean, these parabolas and these things are. Oh, the Sucaba, was That another. Mm-hmm. Super cool. Well, gentlemen, I've taken enough of your time. Go to FirestoneWalker.com. FirestoneBeer.com. FirestoneBeer.com. And RefinedDistillery.com, RefinedDistillery.com. Gentlemen, love you yes. both. Yes. Love you all three. You guys bomb. And thanks for sharing more wine or beer or spirits. Thank you. Thanks for having us, Adam. Thanks, Adam.
1: Give me that m- Sound. We'll get by. We we'll fast all around till the job is out in the trees. it will simplify good company
0: Wow, so much good combo. I always learn when I talk to each of those dudes individually, mind-blown, blessed enough to have all three there at once. Man. Well, coming up next week, excited to chat with a lady who I think if you go to the Wikipedia page for Making Wine Approachable, you'll find her picture. I'm going to be meeting Madeline Paquette of Wine Folly. We're bringing her and the CEO of Folly Incorporated, David Guzman, out for the chat. Can't wait to share that with you on our next episode. Where Wine Takes You is executive produced by Joel Peterson and Paso Wine. Associate producer is Jen Bravo. And much thanks to Jamie Guzman for assistance in fulfillment. The podcast is recorded, edited, and produced by yours truly. Original music on the podcast. Good company performed by Moonshiner Collective. Find their music wherever you stream your stuff. And you can also learn more at moonshinercollective.com. Equipment, transportation, and technical consideration provided by Fly With Wine. Well, next time you are cruising around on the Central Coast, you can tune me in on your radio. My morning show, Up and Atom in the Mornings, heard weekday morning 6 to 10 on the Crush 92.5. Got a website, spell it with a K, crush925.com. We got a free app. You can hear the show there and more. And I'm not sure the next time you're going to be tasting in Paso, but whenever it is, make sure it starts with a visit to pasowine.com. Great resources. They got it all there. You can help start your next tasting in Paso by, again, hitting up PasoWine.com. Well, looking forward to next week. We'll talk wine folly and more. Until then, lift that glass up. Whatever is in it, beer, wine, Spirits, we're doing it all here and more. Let's cheers to it and to enjoying where wine takes you. And give me that
1: sound, give bowing, pass all round till the job is. Camp out in the trees, it will simplify good bound Give me that sound, give bowing, pass all round till the job is. Camp out in the trees, it will simplify good bound Give me that sound, give bowing, pass all round till the job is. A- can't out in the trees who will simplify in good company With that moon shine will get by we pass all around till the job is dry can't out in the trees who will simplify in good, good company, company.